It's episode 77 of Milwaukee's Tailgate Baseball Podcast, your weekly Milwaukee Brewers podcast. I'm Steve Garshinsky. Joining me today is J.P. Breen. And back in, in the studio uh-huh. is Ryan Top. Yeah, it's great to be back. Isn't it? Yeah, that was weird last week. It was. I, I don't particularly like doing it that way. Yeah, we got it. It worked. I mean, it sounded okay, didn't it? It meant we got to try new things. Yes. And then maybe we could try calling in more people later on down the road. Yes. Right? JP, what do you think? Should we start adding people, calling them in? I think we should eventually make it like one of those uh, CNN panel shows, (laughs) which they they run near, you know, what political debates and things like that. And you have 27 people sitting around and then they just talk over each other. It'd be great. Well, and audio is great when you have like, I don't know, eight voices and you can't see anybody and distinguish when one person is talking. I just think of the the scene from the baseball scene from uh, Naked Gun. When they have the, they show all the announcers, and there's like 16 of them all lined up there, including the last one is Dr. Joyce Brothers. <laughs> God, I haven't seen that in so long. So, well, that was our movie review for the week. <laughs> I don't know. Call back to 30 year old movie. <laughs> I was going to say. By the way, that's a 30 year old movie. Now. Any other 30 year old movies, uh, baseball movies you want to bring up and discuss? Yeah, I was watching uh, Eight Men Out. I think it was just last night. It I was thought on, you were going to say Field the last... of Dreams. Yeah. Or Bull, Bull Durham. Bull Durham, yes. I but or yeah. Major League. Bull Durham is one that uh, all my of wife, those came Amy, out around the same time, and they're all like thirty years old. Amy will watch Bull Durham every time I put it on because she she enjoys the movie. Sure, she it's great. It's good. Yeah, it's it's just a good movie. And I will say the great thing about Bull Durham, and I've said this before, is it doesn't come down to a final game or championship or anything. It is so much more like a baseball season. No, the season just kind of peters out, and like. Yeah, it, that's how it goes. So if you're jonesing for some baseball, Bull Durham's the one to turn to first. JP, do you have any other preferences? Or are you more like an Angels in the outfield kind of guy? It's that Angels in the outfield's got to be hitting close to 30, right? I mean, I think that was like mid-90s. 20, that was like 20, it's got to be 20, 25 years old. No, see, they did all of the more adult baseball movies in the late 90s and then... Late 80s. Or late 80s, and then the early to mid 90s was all the ones where like kids somehow got involved with the angels in the outfield rookie uh, of the rookie year. of the year what was the one where the kid was a manager oh the one you managed the twins yeah that was weird but yeah. you know so like if you ever go back and watch angels in the outfield like matthew mcconaughey's in it adrian brody's in it um well i mean have you ever seen like tony remember the titans in it? and looked at like who the base or who the football players and remember the titans are like donald Faison's in there ryan uh gosling is one of the football players i've never like, seen it oh you never saw it? it's no. a decent enough movie it's fine yeah actually i actually think it's a yeah that's a decent movie but it's it's just it is really interesting because like my um my niece was watching it and so like it was just like every single scene i was like you're in this movie like it's you know if i don't know her name but the i think the foster mom is like the pigeon lady from home alone too <laughs> <laughs> so like shouts out to the pigeon lady from home alone too you know who else like, is in that home just alone like too? absolute absolute stars across the board you got the pigeon lady you've got danny glover you've got all of those people across the board and then the one dude from uh i don't even remember his name what's um inception is the the kid oh yeah um Oh, Joseph no, Gordon Levitt. Yeah. Yeah. Whatever his name is. So, absolute star studded movie. Disney creating stars far before, uh, you know, every whatever uh, teen sensations ended up coming out of all of those singers from the, the Disney shows. 
the ones that you grew up with. We're a little older, so that's just something we've heard about but never had to experience. So my grandma went to church with Britney Spears and Christina Aguilera when they were on the uh, um, Mickey Mouse were, Club, the Mickey Mouse Club, and they were recording in the general Orlando area. My grandmother went to the same church as them. Solid. Yeah. There you go. Great. Yep. So. <laughs> I guess moving on from that little well, I mean, nugget. Fortunately, my grandmother, well, this is going to sound bad, but she passed away before she would have seen Christina Aguilera become the sex symbol she became later. When At that point, she was still like the nice little girl. That would have offended her sensibilities. It would have, it would have deeply offended my grandmother's sensibilities, believe me. She's basically like Mima from uh, The Office. Man, I'm going to cut this out. <laughs> All of it. <laughs> Too much. So if you like those movie reviews, uh, go rate and review our podcast, Milwaukee's Tailgate, on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. We want listener questions, so follow Milwaukee's Tailgate on Twitter at MKE Tailgate. Email questions to milwaukees.tailgate at gmail.com or follow our Facebook page. You can also follow the three of us on Twitter, and you'll find that in our Milwaukee's Tailgate Twitter bio. By the way, did you know when I put a picture of you on Facebook with our podcast post, it gets a lot more engagement than just a regular like logo going up there. You mean with my haircut? It was mostly you could kind of see the midsection where the fanny pack is supposed to go. <laughs> Breathing like that one. Yeah. Well, I was say, like, but you're teaching all of the youngsters now. You understand what the fanny pack should be doing. I mean, you've got the knowledge that, that has not gotten to uh, to high schools yet. So, by the way, I should note I have a lot more pictures of Ryan. Like when he's drinking, I try to take him really quick when he's not ready for it. So I'll start posting those with the podcast because I think it's really going to like make us a lot more popular online. It's going to up our, our hits. I'll do it just a raw picture and then people can meme it because I'm sure it's very memeable if they want to take that and do that. So They're usually at bad angles because oh, you're coming in like sneak attack. Like They and are. I, and then 10 minutes later, I'm like, oh, hey, there's a picture of me online. Yep. So it's probably. It's proper SEO with, uh, you know, no problems with consent. It's, it's great. <laughs> so, yeah. Uh, hey, if you'd like to support the podcast, visit patreon.com slash tailgate. Our ball and glove patrons receive the monthly minor league extra podcast. Milwaukee's tailgate is sponsored by Carbon 4 Brewing and their English-style malt bombs and perfectly balanced hop grenades. You know them for the great beers like Dragon Flute, Block Party, and their flagship Fantasy Factory IPA, and the re-release of Simply Dusty Chamomile Saison is now available. Also get 20% off of merch in the Carbon 4 web store with the promo code MKETailgate. There's a new hoodie just in time for these frigid temps, and the blue and yellow t-shirt if you want to rock those brewer's colors. Visit the brewery on Kinsman Boulevard or find their beer at your local retailer. As always, check out Carbon4.com for more information. Carbon4, beer, brilliance. Milwaukee's Tailgate is also sponsored in part by Sound Devices, a premier manufacturer of audio production gear, and they're located right here in Wisconsin. Sound Devices gear is used worldwide and is found on the set of Oscar-winning films and popular TV shows. And if you're looking to create a professional-sounding podcast, check out the Mix Pre 3 and Mix Pre 6. For more information, visit sounddevices.com. Okay, so we got news. Was it Saturday? Mm-hmm. Saturday. Big reunion for the Brewers. Huge. They Epic. decide they want to uh, deal with their infield depth, so they go out and sign Brett Lowry. I, I didn't know he was still looking to play baseball anymore because he's been out of the league for a couple years. Yeah, he last played in 2016. So he's been out of MLB for two years. So, okay, Lowry went to the Blue Jays for in the Sean Markham deal. 
kind of had a big year his first season there and then yeah he came up at the end of that year and really lit the world on fire and i remember going into that second year he was expected to be an absolute monster he that first year he put up a in 171 plate appearances he hit 293 373 580 and i remember everybody like projecting him to be one of the top players in fantasy specifically that next year and then he basically he actually settled in he was a much better hitter than i'd remembered he settled into basically being a league average hitter, which for a good defender, he was actually an above average player for those years. He had a, an OPS plus of 98 in 2012, 94, 103, 95, 97. I mean, he was always kind of right around average. And w- again, when you pair that with good infield defense, it's, you know, it's a, it's a decent combination and it, it provides a, you know, a baseball reference has him as a 15 point one career war player so he was a you know a solid useful role player totally remains to be seen what he has left at this point though yeah jp what happened to brett lowry's power because i think that's kind of what everyone expected him to be he never really carried that bat and eventually just got to the point where he wasn't useful anymore yeah i think the most interesting thing with lowry was that when he went to toronto they actually tried to change his swing to allow him to access that power a little bit more one of the biggest things with the Brewers, and this was something that if you went to go see him, you know, when he was with Wisconsin or any of the other minor league spots or spring training when he was with Milwaukee, you could actually see that he didn't have a lot of, you know, I think now we would say that his launch angle wasn't phenomenal, but his bat stayed in the zone forever, which is why he was able to hit for average and why he was such a good hitter for so long. But Toronto tried to make him a little bit steeper, tried to allow him to to get the ball in the air a little bit more and access his power. And it really just, it really messed him up. And he just really couldn't get back to it. And it's one of those things that, you know, Lowry is a cautionary tale. Every single time we we hear about guys doing swing changes or trying to, you know, access a better launch angle, trying to be more steep or whatever you want, you know, whatever verbiage comes around it. Every single time we look at that and say, oh, yeah, that's great. You know, so-and-so is going to break out this year. But sometimes it just doesn't work. And sometimes guys can't come back from it because the feel's off or, or you know, the confidence is gone. I don't necessarily know what it is. But for Lowry, if you ever go back and look at his swing and you see scouting reports from when he was with uh, the T-Rats and you go forward to his, like, I'd say probably second or third year, uh, either you know his, his second year with Toronto or or once he started to go to Chicago, uh, they're vastly vastly different, and I don't think for the better. It, it'll be interesting to see what uh, he's got left. I mean, I don't. He wasn't even in organized baseball the last two years, was he? Yeah. Do you think because there's always been like well publicized stuff about his personality that he was you know a pretty uh, cocky and arrogant, aggressive guy. Uh, in his playing days and he got into some some scrapes there's a big one between him when he was on the athletics and the royals that somehow got albert pujols involved like it was all very he there was there was an albert pujols connection to it it was very weird you don't remember any of this it was it was i don't Uh, i don't but once he wasn't with the brewers anymore i got rid of my brett lowry google notifications Oh, you turned that off. So, I, yeah, I wasn't really following him that closely. But you kind of wonder if maybe, I mean, he's he was a very young player when he came up and was, you know, he's still now, I think he's 30. Double check. But I think this is going to be his age 30 season coming up. So he's still a relatively young player. Oh, no, not even. This will be his age 29 season 
coming up. Yeah, so JP, is there any expectations for what Brett Lowry could provide this team? No, I have no idea. I don't even know what he's been doing the last two years. I assume that I I assume he worked out and the and the Brewers liked it. Well, I don't think it was just I mean, did he I and to be honest, I don't actually know this. Um did he sign a minor league deal? I would assume so. Yes, he signed a minor league deal. And the way that this works is, I was just looking this up. He will, if he makes it to the big leagues at any point in 2019, he'll earn $1 million this year. And then there is an option, a team option for 2020. So the team sort of constructed in and built in a way that if he does actually come back and you know impact the team in some sort of big way, they could potentially have him around for a couple of years. So... Yeah, I so, imagine he was probably pumping iron and crushing Red Bulls. I was saying, so it's probably just a huge, uh, just a shot in the dark, right? Like, it's it's basically like, if it doesn't work out, it doesn't work out, no big deal. But if it does work out, we're going to do this in a team-friendly way that, you know, benefits us much more than anybody else. Yeah, right. this isn't even like Eric Thames, who was playing ball in Korea. No, no, no. There's... Well, and Thames, obviously, Thames costs money. Right. This is, I don't know what they actually have committed to him at this point but it's not much this was the weirdest thing when it popped up right well it came up completely out of the dark like it he he announced it himself on instagram like that's <laughs> and he's never had any issues with anything he's posted on instagram before there's never wow. been any social media issues now and and let me tell you if there was any more if there were any big you know hints that you all don't necessarily know what's going on with people under 30 you shouldn't be surprised that people are are putting stuff on Instagram, breaking news there. I've learned, uh, I've kids do not, kids almost all use Instagram now. Like I was talking to my students, and like all of them were saying, "No, we don't use Facebook. No, we don't use Twitter. We all use Instagram." Which then, of course, you're like, hey, "Got bad news for you. Who owns it?" But still, you know, you know what they actually use more of? Like even Snapchat. the younger kids. Yeah, they're they're Snapchat now. That's that's where the kids are at is Snapchat. Yeah, I don't know. Instagram added stories. I'm like, I can't handle this. And then they started to go with their like Instagram TV thing. And I'm like, it's all I hear every day. Did you check his story? Did you see her story? Did you did you see her story this, all this day, is, every day? This is our baby boomer uh, segment of the show. And uh, I'm not, yes, I'm right, not so trashing it. I'm just saying I'm not a part of it. No, I'm just saying that like we're talking about it like we're 65 years old and have no idea what we're talking about. Oh, yeah. I'm just going to go play Oregon Trail. I'll be back later, guys. <laughs> yeah, good. Okay, so uh, getting in Brett Lowry's way of probably getting some playing time is Ken Rosenthal's report that uh, Mike Moustakis to the Brewers seems to be close to inevitable. Yeah, he says inevitable, but like... Yeah, that is his words. I don't hear it from the team so much as I hear it from... Rosenthal's been banging this drum. I saw it that, that week that we had all the cold and the snow and whatnot. Uh, he was on... MLB Network and was saying sort of the same kinds of things. So he's been talking about it this way for a while. And I just like, the why fit would you is hear hard to imagine? The, why would you hear it from the team? The, some, I mean, some sort of indication that the team is actually like interested in him. You're saying like Hardercourt or someone like kind of leaking that, oh, the team's still in contact with them. Right. That there would be more smoke and fire that the team was actually still like actively engaging him in talks, which I haven't really heard. I've heard more of, well, yeah, it just seems inevitable that he's going to end up back on the Brewers. But I don't not, know if, like I don't know if we've really heard the Brewers connected to anyone. 
I mean, you've heard them saying, well, they're kind of monitoring what's going on with Kluber or, well, by process of elimination, it seems like they might be doing something with Keuchel. Like, oh, no, no, no. There was a specific report from a reporter down in Atlanta who said that they had the only three-year offer on the table to Keuchel. They actually yeah. had an offer on the table to Keuchel. So, I mean, yeah, maybe. I, well, I'm right. Just, I'm just saying it's been reported, though, that that's a thing that exists. That just doesn't seem to be any different than saying that the Brewers are monitoring Moustakas to see if anybody's interested and they could get him on the cheap. It just basically it's Rosenthal saying that the market for for Moustakas isn't big, that Milwaukee is the logical place that if he can't do anything, it's going to be like what happened last year and that he'll eventually come back to the Brewers if nothing materializes. Yeah, except that we do know that he's been speaking to the Padres. So we know that that's that's been reported that he actually did meet with the Padres. And so. and the Padres and the Padres supposedly have the best offer out to Machado and Machado doesn't really want to go to San Diego. And and so if they sign Machado, it doesn't really seem to make any sense that then Moustakis would go to San Diego. So no, if they sign Machado, then that would be I think Moustakis is their backup plan. If they don't get Machado, then yeah, they I, could go I for Moustakis. He's probably the the backup plan everywhere. You've and it's also been rumored that he's been talking to Philly as well. I mean, it's basically right now. Mustakas doesn't really have a home because of what's happening with Machado. There's nobody that wants to invest a lot of money in him. And if all things are equal, he might prefer to come back to Milwaukee. I think it's basically what Rosenthal saying, which all seems to be reasonable. Is there a way that he fits into this lineup? Because Travis Shaw playing second base for an entire season seems. Unlikely, he wouldn't, he wouldn't play there all season, though. So basically, and Shaw is judging by what happened last year is is borderline unplayable against lefties, or is not going to play against lefties. Sure, Musakis was basically the player that they played at at third base last year against lefties, and he actually acquitted himself quite well. Oh. He played most of the days against righties as well. I mean, Shaw only rarely got back over there when only when Moustakas was getting like a rare day off. Oh, sure. And that was because of defensive uh, d defensive differences, right? But I'm saying that like eventually second base is going to be here. And so any conversation about where Moustakas ends up fitting into the roster is going to be, is he willing to take a part-time role after Hira comes up? Because basically it's going to be only playing against you know, lefties at third base, or you've got questions on like whether or not Aguilar becomes a soft platoon, maybe where you put Shaw at first base and you get a couple of lefties in against a against a tough righty, like which then would squeeze Thames out. I was gonna say, oh, absolutely, Mustakis being on the roster squeezes Thames off the roster. I think that's right. inevitable. Like that's you can't but, really work your way around that. Uh, but the thing is, and that that I want like. There is room for Mustakis on the roster. The, the question, it, for me, Mustakis, as of right now, if you put Mustakis on the roster, the roster's better. But the question is, uh, obviously, is an efficient use of funds? Should they be using those funds elsewhere? I'd say they probably could be using that elsewhere. I don't know necessarily how big of an upgrade it is, but I do think that if you take Thames off the roster, you put Mustak is on the roster, I think, in terms of an offense, in terms of an overarching all of the bats that you could potentially be putting into the roster. Uh, I think the team is is better. Um, so in terms of like, is there space for him? Like, theoretically, yeah. But the question is going to be, obviously, you know, is he the best option in terms of everybody else that could possibly be there? Is it the way that they want to spend their money? We don't necessarily know these things.
Yeah, at this point, we just need that like big domino to fall, either Machado or Harper. Well, and that's what's holding up the entire market right now. Oh, yeah. That w- neither one wants to be the first to sign because they know that as soon as the first one signs, the market for the second one boosts because there's not a fallback option anymore. So neither one wants to be the first to sign, and no team wants to be out on the limb doing it first. I heard the Yankees offered like 225 Well, and there isn't really a great team that's after him. Yeah, the Yankees offering for Machado. Right, which was like eight years, 225 Which, which isn't, is, that's well below what he's looking for. And then I guess if one of them wants to pick the Phillies who are loading up. I was going to say, like, and to be, a, I think uh, the White Sox would be a great, like if you've got Jimenez coming up, you've got all of their big time prospects coming up through the system. And I understand that nobody really likes the Padres, but like their farm system is loaded. You get to live in San Diego. It doesn't seem to me that San Diego would be that bad of an option. Well, and aside from the Dodgers, who else is great in the West? I mean, Colorado. Yeah, Colorado. I mean, they're not great, though. Colorado does. Yeah, I mean, Colorado's got some young some young guys coming through that that could help them be good kind of going forward. But but no, one's, think- no one's great, and San Diego could challenge the Dodgers at least a little bit if they put the yeah. right guys on the field. And both the Giants yeah. and Diamondbacks look to be rebuilding at least ish at this point. So Well, I think that the I think San Francisco is going to rebuild regardless if they want to. Um yeah, they're not much of a choice. Or, or they're going to be bad. Um but I think the one thing that keeps coming in mind there there are a lot of teams, you know, whether you're talking about the Phillies, the White Sox or or San Diego the Padres, they're they're all loading up. But the question is whether if you're Machado or you're you're Harper, do you want to go somewhere in which you're like, well, we might not win the first year, right? But I mean, when you're talking about committing to a eight to ten year contract, you're that really shouldn't be a concern. Well, I would, we I would rather we do- can have a long view on it. I'm sure the players still are saying, I want both the large long term contract and I want to win now. Right. Sure. I want to go to New York. Right. Like I want to go to the Yankees where they're both going to win now and later. Like that's what I want. Sure. So uh, we did have some interesting projections come out this year. And obviously Machado and Harper would probably adjust some of this. But uh, Pakoda came out and they had their projected standings on the season. Um, I guess, interestingly, in the central, the Brewers are projected to win the division with 89 wins, which is kind of 88 the, now but or yeah. 88 wins, which is kind of the top end for most teams aside from the Dodgers. Um, yeah, I mean, there's the, a lot the Dodgers of teams. Are at, the, the Dodgers are at 94. Otherwise, the Nationals are 80, 89. The Mets are at 88. Philly's at 86. You know, St. Louis is at 86. Colorado's at 86. There are a lot of teams in that same vicinity. I mean, if you look at the National League, 11 of the 15 teams are projected for between 81 and 89 wins. It's nuts. It's yeah. a bloodbath in the National League. I mean, Whereas, JP, should they have even put out standings or should they have just have said these are the teams that are playing in the National League? Just like a big giant shrug emoji? Yeah. Yeah, it, it's there's going to be so much volatility going on. Um, and I, to be honest, like one of the things that might actually make a difference, well, health is certainly going to make a difference, right? Like who can stay healthy? Depth, I'm, I'm assuming is going to matter as well. But I think bullpens are going to matter a ton. Right. Like, can you have an elite bullpen that allows you to outplay your run differential? 
Right. And, well, well, and that's hard because they still have run differential on there, and I, I think that. No, I mean I don't mean like in yeah, terms yeah, of yeah. the projections themselves. I okay. mean like going out in the year, like who is going to be able to outplay their projections? Who's going to be able to come out of this huge glut of teams in the middle? It's going to be people that can either a get lucky or b you know have have the the kind of roster construction that most likely gives you an opportunity to outpace what you should seeing your run scored. Runs. I mean, yeah. one of these teams is going to have a season like the Mariners did last year where they totally just, you know, get really fortunate in one run games and they're going to move ahead of the pack in one of these divisions in either the East or the Central, right? Sure. Yeah. It's, yes. It's, it's too tightly projected for to draw any conclusion from how the teams are slotted in there but jp okay so Fangraphs initially had the brewers at like 79 wins and pakota's almost 10 wins ahead of that is this a function of you know they, they've made improvements to uh dra and uh deserved runs created plus they just had a big thing they came out with with their offensive projections is Pakoda just doing something completely different than what the other projection systems are doing right now? Uh, well, I think the first thing is Pakoda now, I I think, has a better idea of how to how to handle bullpens and, and just like differing pitching um, strategies in terms of like how much should you value starting pitching. One of the things I think really plays into it is the fact that it loves Brandon Woodruff coming in this year. Um it also has a pretty solid projection for Jimmy Nelson, which I think if we all look at that, we say, yeah, I mean, maybe like, I don't necessarily know if numbers are a great way to project what Jimmy Nelson is going to do. I mean, the um, innings are low for him. They aren't projecting like a ton of innings. Right. Right. Yeah. What stood and, out to me about Jimmy Nelson was if he's actually this good at preventing runs, they project him for a th- uh, 354 ERA, but only 85 innings. He's going to get more innings than 85 innings. If he's that good at preventing runs, well, Barring, hold on. We don't know when he's going to be on the mound and back. Well, he's full go to come into camp. So it also seems like a great opportunity for them to keep another arm on the roster for as long as possible to give him a rehab outing that takes a month and a half. Sure. I mean, that there is the possibility there. And I, I know they're going to be delicate with him, but it just it that struck me looking at it like if he's that good at preventing runs, they're probably not going to hold him back unless he get some sort of like structural damage to it an injury wise you know what i mean like we're not talking about like a reoccurrence of the injury that would be a big deal and would also limit his effectiveness but at the same at the same time though i feel like we had this discussion last year right like i think the best place to go into this season is just saying I have no idea what's going on with his shoulder. No idea what it's going to look like. I have no idea. And it's the same thing, to be honest. I think we should be treating for Zach Davies. Like, we just don't really have a clue for what to expect from him. Because, again, right, like, to reiterate, he was out for, like, what, two and a half months? And all all they kept saying was, yeah, his shoulder hurts. And they're like, okay, did you do an MRI and look at what actually is going on there? And they're like, well... We did some tests and his shoulder hurts. And you're like, good, great. Yes, now he's out for two and a half months and I have no idea what's happening there, but that can't be great. And so I don't necessarily know what to do, but I think one of the big things that's allowing the Brewers to have a much better projection system in Pakota is the fact that baseball prospectus tends to take defense far more into account than the vast majority of projection systems. Because uh, Lorenzo Cain has the highest projected war 
for the Brewers right now. And a lot of that is defensive related. Defensive positional related to being a well above average defensive. Yeah, it was it was Kane, Grandall, and Yelich were the top three, I think, in war projections. Right, which certainly passes the smell test. I mean, you can't expect uh, Yelich to be as good as he was last year, even though you know well, if he if he is ninety percent of what he was last year, it's not going to surprise anybody. But. Well, and I'm sure some of uh, Pakoda's projections are still taking into account the number of plate appearances he had. It, you know before he exploded last season. Right. You know, it's not going to go crazy. I mean, even his first half was, he was a good version of himself, but he wasn't what he was in the second half, which was, you know, Barry Bonds reincarnate. Yeah. So. Yeah, I hadn't realized it until I, I, I looked at it the other day. And yeah, he was 367. It was almost 450 and slug 770. Yeah, I mean, he was... was I did. On, I had no idea world. until I had looked at his splits that he had slugged 770 in the second half. Well, yeah, I mean, he hit how many home runs? It was 20 He plus, hit 25, right? and that was, yeah, it's not quite split in half, but first half, second half. But, yeah, he had 25 home runs, and he slugged 770. So I what I, I would say one thing to, to keep in mind, though, with Grandall being that high, it does show how much baseball perspectives puts into catching numbers and framing. And that's a big part of why the Cubs ended up at 81, because they have the opposite of Grandall. They have Wilson Contreras, who is a framing nightmare. Right. According and we to those actually metrics. and like mathematically, I understand why all of those things work the way that they do. But in terms of like on the field, I don't necessarily know if we if we have all that much evidence to show that like framing matters that much. But the Cubs, I think what that does highlight is the fact that they've got a whole lot of question marks in their bullpen and their starting rotation is filled with a bunch of people that have really good names. But you Darvish hasn't really been that good for a while. Well, um, Darvish is always his stuff has always looked like an ace more than he's pitched like an ace. He, absolutely. Early on, he was pretty ace like, but it became and less then he's and had, less over the years. He's had Tommy John and whatever last year's injury was. I, I wasn't it Tommy John last year, or well, no, he at least he had just, an elbow injury last year. No, 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 that was that was a few years back now. Well, but he has still had, but he still had an elbow injury last year. Yes. And so, but basically, you know, you've got you Darvish who, yeah, he was excellent in 2013, 2014, but yeah, I mean, basically 2017, 2018 was a high three, low four ERA guy, which, you know, his overall numbers look great. He, he gives up a lot of homers. You know, we kind of know the deal with that, but the question mark has been the fact that he's only thrown 200 innings once in his entire big league career. Oh, yeah, he's going to be helpful to the Cubs if he's on the mound because yeah. they just need pitching depth. But to expect him to just be like the lights-out pitcher I think everybody expected when he came over, and he was initially, that's gone. That's not the pitcher he is anymore. So um, we do have a question from Darren Jones. He says, looking at Keston Hero's projected plate appearances among the various projection systems, so Fangraph's depth charts has him at 35 plate appearances. Pakoda has him at 165. 165 clay davenport projects 233 uh if milwaukee's tailgate had a projection system that was highly scientific which is our best guess is how many mlb plate appearances would you project for keston Hira in 2019 i think it's going to be well over 300 yeah i would say 350 to 400 jp do you have any idea and this is assuming that like second base is kind of the middling to disaster position that we're expecting early on and that he's going to get a fairly early call 
Yeah. I'm hoping we get a question like this from Andy in the uh, in the uh, prop bets show about when Kira is going to be up. Oh, I'm, yeah, that'll be a good one. So, JP, what do you kind of see as a, a projection for his plate appearances? Yeah, I'll say 400. Yeah, I think it's safe to say he'll be up by the end of May and he'll get a majority of at-bats, but probably not all of the at-bats. I mean, we all think that, but I've gotten a lot of pushback on that on Twitter. There are a lot of people that don't think he's going to be up that early this year and that they think that he really needs to produce in the minors before he gets called up. Uh, yeah, I wouldn't be surprised. That's why if somebody wants to project low, I'm not going to say, like, you're wrong. Fangraph saying 35 seems really low. It seems really I mean, that would be up, what, a couple weeks maybe at the end of the season? So it feels like the Brewers would have to fall out of it and they'd call him up for, like, September call-ups, which they wouldn't do either. That's more like he would be up because they needed somebody to fill in for a couple weeks and then went back down. Which, again, doesn't seem like something they do. Either Hero's going to be up and playing or he's going to stay in the minors. So, um, I mean, but, like, when you think about like, what's this idea? I guess I've, I haven't heard. What's this idea that he needs to produce in the minors? I mean, he's basically been extremely good and then had an OPS over 900 in the Arizona Fall League. I mean, like, I, I agree. I want. I agree, but Pakoda hasn't projected at 239, 279, 406. Right. I, I, I don't think that Pakoda has much of an idea what to do with rookies. Like, yeah. there's just not enough information there. Yeah, so, Pakoda projecting guys coming out of the minors is not... It's tough. There's not enough data. Like, right. well, and no, it's not, and the I'm data not, is too inspecific because all player development paths are different. So, but I'm not, so I'm not asking about Pakoda. You said you've gotten pushback from people who say he needs to produce in the minors, and I'm asking like, what what do they want for him to prove that he can hit like double A and above pitching for an extended period of time before they believe he's a really good major league hitter? Is what I've been hearing. Yeah, I'm going to say that I a uh he has done that and and B like I I don't understand what like I I the fact that they don't want him to skip AAA is that like the argument? I I don't know. I'm I'm not 100% sure, but it's there's a skepticism that he is ready to come up and be a good big league hitter you know early this season. There's there's a skepticism out there of that that I don't share. I'm, Look, I'm bringing this up because I've been getting pushback on what I've been saying about it. Where I think I he's going to be up Memorial Day at the latest. I I yeah I would agree with that. I don't I don't think he's going to come up and automatically like be a superstar by any stretch because I think that we should expect him to struggle a little bit. But there's like at some point you have to go to your top prospect who doesn't really have anything to learn in the miners and say like, we're going to give you some time. Like this is the argument that we made for, uh, for Lewis Brinson for a long time. And it turns out Lewis Brinson had a lot more question marks, I think, than we readily recognized at the time. And the fact that he wasn't getting an extended run in the big leagues was because he had pretty big question marks that we just didn't like do a good enough job recognizing or like didn't talk enough about or or like just maybe there was a misplaced confidence because as soon as he was traded there were like scouts and not related to the brewers that were basically like yeah like there are some big question marks about him um and i don't there were people when he was a prospect when brinson was a prospect there were people saying it's going to take some time i remember keith law saying brinson is gonna he's not going to come up to the big leagues and light the world on fire you're going to have to 
be patient with him and wait for the the bat to come around. Well, yeah, I, the, the odd thing with Brinson is just that he started to get to an age where it's like, well, if you want him to learn, he needs to be up by this point, and he just didn't seem to be getting that shot. But well, go, I, going I, back to Hira and and Double A, he was fine in Double A when he got promoted. He wasn't tearing the cover off the ball like he had at other levels. But I remember when when Fielder and Weeks and those guys went through Double A. That's also where they struggled. And when they got to triple a, you could see there was nothing left to learn. Like they just tore the cover off the ball in triple a. So I, it is kind of to the point if he follows that kind of path, which I mean, he's, you know, relatively the same age as those guys were and a similar prospect that they were. Well, he's the same age as weeks and Braun. I think Braun, his lowest numbers were at double a, all he, of their lowest numbers were at double a. Yeah, it was. And they well, all killed triple a, but the, I think part of the, Part of the issue is I think that people maybe are expecting here to be somebody he's not like, are they looking at the power numbers and saying that he's not hitting for enough power? because he's not going to be a big power guy. He's going to be somebody who hits, you know, uh, high two hundreds, low three hundreds, 15, 20 homers and, and steal 15 bases like that's going to be who he is, which is a really good hitter. Right. It especially is. at second base. Yeah, you're playing that at second base and he's patient at the plate. So it, it's not going to be an empty batting average. He's not going to have to like. There's been some question about that too. I mean, they look. You look at Picota's splits, and he's got a forty point split between his batting average and on base percentage. He hasn't taken a ton of walks in the minors, but, but scouting some of that is. But scouting wise, they look at him as someone who's patient at the plate. He can identify pitches. So you know, I think once you get to the majors, obviously, a little bit of that approach changes. Well, and and plate discipline is not the same thing as a walk rate. Yes, that's those are not exactly the same thing. I if, if he was if he was in a situation in which his walk rate was really low and his you know be, he's basically trending in this area in which he's going to have roughly a league average walk rate and his strikeout rate's going to be well below average like he just he understands which which pitches he can drive and he doesn't miss them very much which is why he doesn't have an opportunity to walk because he just doesn't have to really deal with that. I mean, it'll be interesting to see because his walk rate actually increased a little bit in double A. Once he sees more breaking balls, it'll be interesting to see if he's willing to wait a little bit more because basically lower in the minors, it's been as soon as he got his fastball that he was waiting for, he absolutely capitalized on it. Um, other things that I thought were kind of interesting, like one of the big ones that stood out to me was Ryan Braun and Ben Gamble are projected to be almost the same hitter. Braun at a 261 average, Gamble at a 262. Uh identical projected on basis 332 for both of them uh brawn a little bit more power uh, 439 versus gamels uh 393 but they're projected to be kind of like pretty similar hitters overall which i mean at this point i guess that shouldn't shock us that's not a no if we got to the point where we're gonna stop waiting for that brawn breakout where he seems to get back on track to the closer to the hitter he used to be well, in terms of like a full season, I would say so. I would say you could still see him. I, I wouldn't be shocked if he, for a couple months, all of a sudden he just, you know, went on a, a tear where everything kind of clicked physically. A couple was, months? Yeah, like, you know, a six-week run, like where he... Well, where now he, it's six weeks, so now it's a month and a half. <laughs> Are we going to keep lowering this? And then it's like, hey, hey, JP, did you see that Braun finally clicked for like, uh, I don't know, six days? Well, you know what? Brian LaHare was able to do everything that he was able to do with Chicago for three months. So let's not pretend like a two month stretch for anybody is beyond recognition. How did I walk into this one? Well, you started hedging immediately and nobody asked you any questions about it. So, but, so I think one of the things with 
kind of I, I guess I didn't necessarily look at the brawn and, and gamble thing. But um, number one, this a shows me a little bit more kind of lends to the argument that gamble is maybe a little bit better than than Ryan you had allowed for in the past. Um, but the other thing with brawn, it'll be interesting to see what happens because I mean, we know this through the eye test, but then there were a lot of numbers that came out over the course of the year in terms of like batted ball velocity. Like Ryan Braun was killing the ball last season. It just seemed it, it just couldn't find the grass. Like he just couldn't do it to save his life. And he was getting frustrated. Everybody was looking at it like, and, and you know, when announcers start kind of going in and being like, look, I don't know what he needs to do to be able to get a break here, but and I know that we talked a lot about swing changes, so I just wanted to bring it back full circle to kind of the Lowry conversation. Um, Ryan Braun supposedly has been trying to retool a swing for the first time ever. Like he is actually working with somebody. No, he's retooled his swing. No, he said he's actually trying to change his bat path for the first time. Like he's changed oh, okay. really small things about it, but he's actually trying to. I think he basically got frustrated last year where he was like, look, I hit the ball so hard and put it in play so often last year and it just didn't work out. And so I think he must have looked at that and said, look, I'm going to try to get the ball in the air more because if I'm going to hit the ball that hard, I'm going to put it in the air because I'm not going to worry about batted ball luck anymore. So yeah, I'll be revolution, baby. I'll be curious because, I mean, he's definitely changed the way he's loaded on a swing and his follow through has changed that all yeah. that stuff is, has evolved over the year. But yeah, he's kind of kept that, that middle portion his when he's actually like going across the plate there has remained consistent. So. And it's why he's been so good going to the opposite field for so long His bat stays in the zone forever. It's why you can just like flick his wrists and take it to the opposite field, 350 feet. Like he's been so good at that for years. Well, his back end stays. That seems so dangerous. Though. I'm not looking forward to this. The, the I, back end of his swing has always been so like stable like that there's like a, a firm line along that the right leg and the back like it forms like practically a straight line just thinking like the classic ryan braun swing where he's driving the ball out to like right center that way but i will say like as much as we want to talk about you know and i know that ryan loves the the fly ball revolution and everything about swing plane but like we've heard this for so many players like this almost to me has become, you know, getting LASIK eye surgery and like, that's going to make everybody better. Right. Because I can finally see it. it's, it's until you see it. Like we were talking about the fact that Chris and Yelich had one of the lowest swing planes, like in terms of launch angles in the entire, in the entire league. Like, and you've got the the person that was finally going to like unlock his power and get into it was Colin Moran. And he was like the fl the launch angle revolution and like is a part time player for Pittsburgh. Like part of it is you need to be a good hitter. But then you look at Matt Carpenter and you go, there was a guy who made the change and it took like a year bit, for it to stick. But anything to do with a launch angle that was just the fact that he decided he was going to start trading some power for strikeouts and he wasn't going to start where he wasn't going to worry about striking out as much it wasn't I thought like his launch angle went up. i that just means it doesn't mean that you changed your bat path if your launch angle goes up okay fair enough so okay uh we do have a patreon question from jeffrey emmenecker um he asked, does Woodruff's performance in September and October change your perception of his ceiling as a starter? And again, we talked about Picota is 
hot on Woodruff. So I guess, is there both a, a, an eyeball test and a statistical test where Woodruff seems to be the guy that everybody's latching to? I mean, he is, he is the guy everybody's talking about right now. I think, yeah, but I think both Breen and I have been fairly high on Woodruff's ceiling as a starter to begin with. I think we were higher than the general consensus was, and I think now the general consensus that we saw it in September and October, I think people have somewhat caught up to that a little bit more than like like the his actual outlook has You changed. saw Brandon Woodruff before he was cool? I yeah, I was I yes, I was in the clubs seeing Brandon Woodruff when it was just me and like eight other people. JP, do you think it's a change perception or is it just Woodruff has now gotten some time so people have seen him and feel more comfortable? Oh, I think I think his perception has changed for the vast majority of Brewers fans. Like I think that his ability to come in and show it in September and October is completely changed how people are feeling about him. Um but yeah, I mean, this is I don't even remember when I was started ranting about it on on the podcast. I was like, eventually, you, you like you have to let him pitch. You have to give him time in the big leagues and let him go. Like he's not gonna, he doesn't have anything to learn in AAA anymore. And if if my perception of his ceiling has changed, I will say actually, yeah, it has a little bit because his slider was coming in much hotter than I remember. Um, I mean, part of it is is he gonna be able to hold that up as a starter? Is it, you know, was he kind of bringing in a, a slider that had a little bit more velocity just because he was coming out of the bullpen? Um, I don't know the answers to that. It'll be something that we have to see going forward. But in terms of like, does it change my perception of his ceiling? I feel a little bit more confident that he can reach it than before. I think he's a little bit more likely to be a mid-rotation starter than I than I saw in the past. Okay, we have a question from Kushdog on Twitter. Why isn't Freddie Peralta getting more love? I was really impressed last year. Yeah, his control was spotty, but he was 21, 22 years old. Yeah, yeah. well, the, the control problems isn't a bug. It's a feature. So it's the fact that he throws pretty much all fastballs and has control issues, that doesn't get better just because you necessarily get older. Um I think that Freddie Peralta isn't getting more love because the Brewers have so many starting pitchers. I'm, I think that Freddie Peralta, if you look at uh, Corbin Burns and, and Woodruff, I think he's pretty clearly behind both of them in terms of younger youngsters that could go into the starting rotation. And they've got guys like Davies, Nelson, uh, Chase Anderson, uh, Chase Anderson. They've got guys like Chassin. They've got plenty of guys that need to get, have time in the starting rotation and that Freddie Peralta is just kind of the guy who is, on the outside looking in. I think if you were to say, do people still think he can be a major league starter? I think most people would say, yeah, it's just the fact that it's most likely not going to be right at the beginning of next year. When we talk about, you know, uh, Woodruff or Burns going into the rotation and what that's going to do to the bullpen, are we ignoring the fact that Peralta is a guy who could slide into the bullpen and possibly have the success of one of those guys? Because Peralta in short stints seems like, especially a fastball pitcher like that, would be tailor-made for the bullpen yeah we talked about that though the problem with that is when are you using him because if you're using him in tight situations where you don't want to necessarily what happens when you he comes in and walks two of the first three batters he faces you know in that situation in a tight ball game that's going to be really tough to deal with and we've talked about that on the pod before where Peralta has a bit of a profile issue that way where I don't think his control is good enough that you really trust him as a high leverage reliever at this point 
So it's probably more of a, you're okay with him starting because there's some wiggle room when you start. You know, you can give up some runs. And he was, you know, that was the classic Freddie but Peralta if, start last year was he would give up some runs early and then would settle in. And next thing you knew, oh, yeah, he just went five innings and only gave up But if you runs. paired Peralta with some of the guys who were just giving you shorter starts... Yeah, I you, mean, he would be an interesting option. You know, if he if somebody gets you through four and then you can bring Peralta out to get you through six before you start hitting the back end of the bullpen. If you were going to truly piggyback starters, he would be a very interesting guy in that way where you would say, yeah, that that could really be interesting. And we should note that Peralta is projected to have the lowest ERA of any of the three. He's projected at 393 or I'm sorry, 359 ERA and uh, Woodruff's is at a 351. Wait. Okay, so not quite. <laughs> well, he's comparable to Woodruff and well lower than Corbin Burns, who's at a four twenty six. So that was, that was stellar, man. Hey, I think good. they num- the numbers have changed. These numbers keep changing, and I swear it, it used to be the other way around. But whatever. no, Woodruff Woodruff has been lower. I think the, uh, it, it's it's a question of profile, and I don't I don't think Freddie Peralta is the kind of guy that I would want coming in out of the bullpen in I high th- leverage. I, well, but like a low leverage, what's the point? Like have them down in AAA then. What about medium leverage? Those are going to. I'm just that, saying we only talk about high and low leverage, but I mean, at a certain point, you know, it's a little bit more flexible than that. There aren't just two situations where guys yeah, come in. But I think like if you're looking at guys who's who could be coming in kind of sixth, seventh inning to kind of be bridge guys, that's when I would much rather have the the. Uh, Taylor Williams is the Bobby Walls, the guys like that who can go a couple of innings. I, and it's just because a they've got better stuff than than Freddie Peralta. I think Freddie Peralta can go to the minors and continue to work on his slider. Um, and I, it's just Freddie Peralta is a guy that just does, not everybody can make the transition to the bullpen. I know you know that, but he, he's just he's not a guy that I would want. Or feel comfortable, it basically like throw him in and be like, "Well, who knows what we've got today?" And just like kind of bring him out of the bullpen and see how it goes. Somebody needs to be a, a good with the the group they have of like eight legitimate big league starters. Somebody needs to be the good guy who goes to AAA, and Peralta is the obvious choice for that because of his age, because he is so young and he hasn't pitched a ton at the higher levels of the minors yet. So like he's an obvious candidate to go down, and I believe he still has at least two options, if not three. So he's got options left, and he's going to, yeah, he's going to be in the minor leagues. Uh, I, I like that JP brought up Bobby Wall. He's a candidate for the middle reliever to break out. He, they have, uh, Pakota has him at a 330 ERA, which is significantly lower than most of the other middle relief candidates. He's going to be the I, guy that we're pleasantly surprised by that's killing everybody early and then totally flames out later in the season or the exact opposite. He's going to be terrible at some point and hopefully he's going to be great at some point. Well, because he's going to have control issues when he's bad and that's going to exactly make people go well, berserker. Well, what I will say is I put Bobby Wall into that conversation because I knew that that would win the argument with Ryan. There you go. Uh, Let's see. Um, okay, we have uh, Brewer Fan three thirty one on Twitter. He asks, "If you're David Stearns, uh, what move do you make before the season starts?" Keuchel. I want Keuchel. Like, it just regardless of, well, like, what's the the deal here? Just like in terms of what what's the move that I would like to see happen, or what's realistic? Yeah, you what? you are David Stearns. What's the move you want to make? 
what's the move that I want to make? Yeah. I want to make I, well, Kluber. That's the move I want to make. If you I can make give that up work, what it's going to take to get Kluber. Well, no, but then that's what I said. Is it about money? Is it about probability? Is it about all these things? Because like, if it's just about what's the move I want to make, I want to make that work. I mean, like, if you have three years of Kluber and it takes, you know, six years of Hira and what five of Burns? No, it'd be six years of control of Burns. Is that worth it? I mean, just in terms of what the Brewers can do and and the limits that they've got, I don't think so. Um, but if you can make my deal would be if you can make Kluber work without giving up Hira, you do it every day of the week. Yeah, okay, I can I can get behind that because Kluber does have three years of control, so like Burns can be part of that. I that's fine, but I, I can hear it in your voice. But there, without Hira, there, could you hear that, JP? There was a little bit of that regret. Like I'm saying this, but I don't really believe it. Like people are gonna remember this, and they're gonna tell it to me on Twitter when it doesn't work out, and everybody will be sad. There is no way they're getting Corey Kluber without trading Keston Hira. So there's no, this is a completely not. academic like argument. So I can I can say that with the the assurance that like I'm not actually worried about that happening. Of course, but so uh, so what's the, my actual answer for what move would I want to to make happen? It's Marwin Gonzalez. Okay, make the case. I mean, okay. I didn't make the case for Keichel, but but I'm pretty sure. Didn't we like have this entire what? argument like a, a podcast or two ago? Yeah, about, we've like, talked about like, Gonzalez both being a quality player and his ability to play around the diamond makes him more valuable. Yeah, it's you can play him. You can play him shortstop. You can play him first base. You can play him second base, third base, corner outfield. He can play anywhere and he's going to be able to give you a starter level bat at every single one of those yeah so if rc is terrible you can play him at shortstop if rc is good you can move him around other positions yeah if you if you need to give somebody some some time off at at second base uh you need a platoon partner at first base like he's just he's got so much flexibility to be able to give you quality options which is why i was actually surprised that the astros didn't really push to, to to sign him really really heavily but then they went out and got uh um, they got our old friend Michael Brantley. So Michael Brantley, by the way, still one of my favorite swings to watch. He is stellar. Right. And the Astros also just have so much like young talent that they can kind of backfill. I think it's great when you're somebody like the Astros and you're like, man, are we going to have room for Kyle Tucker? And you're just like, oh, good. How great are you? How great is your team that like a top 10 prospect in all of baseball? You're like, man, we might not have room for him for a while. Yeah, but the Astros shouldn't have that team because they had to tank to get it. Therefore, it is illegitimate. Okay. I this is not the time for this argument. <laughs> I think that tank is the wrong term to be able to use for it. And the only team that I think is really, truly tanked is the Braves. Yeah, okay, I would agree with that because the the Cubs and Astros were at the really dregs of a bad cycle anyway. So, well, and I think that what people make a mistake in saying is that if you get a lot of really young players and are bad, that's tanking and you're making a decision to not spend money on people that could make you better. But the entire point of not being good is to see which of those young players can work out. That's the entire benefit of being a but like when you're a team like the Braves and you decide that you're going to sign Chris Johnson for no reason and block a prospect like that. You're making a decision to make your team worse. Like and that's what the Braves were doing. Well, and this is kind of getting into some of the proposed rule changes that I think came out this week from MLB, which we'll have to save that for another podcast. 
Yeah, I mean, we just running. talked about rules a couple episodes ago, too. So, well, yeah, but we're, somebody we're did ask on. on Twitter what my rule change would be, and I would say that if you don't bat flip a if you don't bat flip a home run, then it doesn't count. Automatic out. I'm on board with that one. So we do have one last uh, Patreon question from Charlie Robleski. What would each of your walk up songs be? Ryan, I'll let you go first. I'm riding or dying with Chad Moeller and the uh, Shakedown Street. Grateful Dead Shakedown Street. That was great. I absolutely love that. JP, you got one? I, I don't. Like, how lame is that? No, I, I don't have an answer to this question. Oh, come on. Just pick something. I don't know. I would pick something. It would be like really weird to pick like classical music or something. Prince like, Fielder came up to that THX. <laughs> or like or like a, a piece from NPR that's like this is NPR. And then like I walk up in glasses like it'd be stellar. Yeah, I think I'd, I'd probably go with uh, uh, the best around from the Karate Kid uh, movie. You know, the end I just watched that last. Night. Yeah, you know, the end when when they're in the, the tournament. And I definitely want uh, the uh, what, what's her name? Elizabeth Shue. I want her shouting that you're the best before it starts too. like you have to have that. You got to have clip. that audio clip play and then go into the song. So, yeah, I think would, Ryan Braun actually at his peak might have actually tried to do that. He should have. He should have. I mean, that would have been great. He was I, I enjoyed when he had smooth criminal for a while. Oh, that was and then yes. and then it became a little too real. <laughs> Well, I think that there's also I I would probably want to have like Muse, like Muse, like Supermassive Black Hole or something like that as my walk up music. I don't know that one. So well, that's fine. <laughs> aren't they like a, a not good Radiohead? I think that's uh, what Muse was always considered. They're yes. like they wanted to be Radiohead, but they weren't. I maybe i don't know i don't know that comparison but that's what i'm going with we're older so we had radiohead which was great and you're younger and you had news which was not great i also understand who radiohead is and have listened to radiohead um i don't think you really appreciate them though (laughs) all all those young people can't possibly uh, can't possibly appreciate radiohead no i'm just saying that like they don't actually sound alike oh no we've seen them both we know Muse? Yeah, we saw okay, we saw Muse. We saw Muse at the Dane County Coliseum open for oh, Nine Inch Nails. No. Foo Fighters and Red Hot Red Hot Chili Peppers. That was the full bill for that one. It was Muse, Foo Fighters, Red Hot Chili Did Peppers. Did we actually see Muse? Were we in the, the arena by that time? Probably I was in not. there by that time. I was in. So we, we saw Muse. I don't know who the hell opened for Nine Inch Nails back then. Oh yeah, I don't know. That was the loudest show we've been to, I'm pretty sure. Yeah, that one I'm pretty. That one I, I still can, have hearing loss. I can from guarantee it. I have I have hearing damage from going to see Nine Inch Nails back in like 2000. Yeah, that was on the uh, the Fragile tour. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And I thought you were going to make a joke about having to listen to Ryan and I gave you hearing damage, but like you just completely. No, like, the only reason I can do this every week is because I've already damaged my hearing. So <laughs> <laughs> that's how that works. So as somebody who complains about all like the tracks and, and you're like, oh, those sound levels weren't perfect on this one. Right. Like for all of that, you're complaining. I, know, about I, I am the one who complains, complains about the audio quality. Yeah. A few weeks ago when it was so bad that you actually took down the minor league extra, reprocessed it and put it back up. Oh, my God. You guys, the two of you when you're on your own, it just makes me cringe sometimes. But, you know, that's how it goes. So anyways, uh, that's going to do it for this week's show. Anything else before we wrap this up? Last thoughts, final thoughts. Now, when's, when, when are pitchers and catchers? It's this week. 
Yeah. Is I was it really? Say, like, I thought it was this week. It's this week. And actually, that was a good point. Uh, I want to credit Toby for bringing this up. Toby from Brew Crew Ball um, made the point that once pitchers and catchers report, teams can start using the 60-day DL because right now the Brewers have a full 40-man. So once pitchers and catchers report, Brent Suter can be transferred to the 60-day DL right away. And that would open up another spot on the 40-man, which potentially maybe we could see some action this week, not just from the Brewers, but because everybody's pitchers and catchers are reporting this week. We could see some teams, once guys start getting pushed to the 60-day DL, opening up some roster spots, and you could see maybe a little bit of action on the free agent market. Oh, God, who was it? Did you see that on Twitter? Somebody, I will say that uh, somebody asked why there isn't a three six or why there, the six, 60 day DL isn't your round and like Grant Brisby replied because that would be the three hundred sixty five day DL asshole. <laughs> <laughs> but I will also say that we should give Toby his his actual due. He's from Brewer fan, not Brew Crew Ball. Did I say Brew Crew Ball? I'm sorry, Toby. Oh. Just saying, we're giving BrewerFan.net a shout out. Yes, I'm. I'm sorry. I just yeah. Okay, so at least maybe that's some optimism to look forward to some moves and then actual stuff to discuss. But like we're week. we're gonna get to see some pictures of you know of like young relievers throwing to a ball catchers and it's gonna oh, be great. No, no, no. We already got the pictures of the semi being loaded and leaving Miller Park, didn't we? It's all shit until you start seeing pitcher fielding practice reported on by beat writers. That is that is the true sign that spring has come is that they're talking about pitcher fielding practice. Like I said, I don't care about any of it until I see that the MLB at bat app has updated so we can look at what the spring training games are coming up. Until until I get my uh, email that says MLB TV is updated or has uh, has a uh, yeah it's has charged your account charged your credit card and I'm like oh damn I forgot about that I forgot about that now I got to explain it to my wife why we're paying for this again this year God <laughs> so anyways it's all happening soon so that'll be good to see anyways uh, don't forget you can join our Patreon for Milwaukee's tailgate at Patreon.com/slash/MKETailgate patrons at the ball and glove level will receive the monthly minor league extra podcast. As always, follow us on Twitter at MKE Tailgate. You can also submit questions to milwaukees.tailgate at gmail.com or through our Facebook page for Milwaukee's Tailgate Baseball Podcast. And I'll post more pictures of Ryan if you want to check that out. Thanks. We got some good ones? Oh, you know we got some good ones. Go to hell. <laughs> nice low angle, kind of like the, the chin waddle area. Yes. Yes. <laughs> A lot of lot, a lot of Ryan Waddle pictures. Is <laughs> he sucking down a pint at Miller Park? Yes. <laughs> Podcast title. Podcast title. <laughs> sucking down a pint? No, I was gonna say the Ryan Waddle. <laughs> <laughs> we'll do all of it. I'll just have the. Hey, long this is time. this is why people said that you're a jerk, Steve. This is why people like came on and criticized on the on the thing that. You are mean. I am mean. So, hey, don't forget to subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, Stitcher, Google Play, and we're on Spotify. You can leave reviews and help people find the podcast. Leave more reviews. We want reviews now. And like I said, go over to the JS Brewers podcast and post about Milwaukee's tailgate on there as well when you leave reviews for uh, JR. We're going to well, have that's some really specific. <laughs> it is. We're going to have JR. He, he said he's going to participate in our prop bet episode this season. Oh, that's confirmed now. Good. Yeah, I think we're going to call him in because he said he has uh, 
dance recital or something that weekend. Look, but there should be time. We're going to do it. I would say, I also, like, if you want to put in a bunch of reviews that just make fun of me the whole time, well, let's go. As, long, in. as oh. long as they're five stars. <laughs> five stars and tell me about how much you hate all my opinions. That's fine. It's perfect, perfect kind of review. Get your get your jabs in, but make sure you give us five stars so we can go to the top of the, the charts when you search Milwaukee Brewers. For, for Ryan, all of our for all of our music reviews and uh, Ryan doesn't about, believe this like, work. Yeah, yeah, all, all of our complaints about like audio levels and uh, excellent music and weather reviews. That's exactly what we need to be able to put to the top of the charts. Yeah. So, uh, anyways, thanks for listening. Look for us again next week on Milwaukee's Tailgate.